Am I on? Can you hear me? There we go. Uh, so we've been taking a very specific track with the youth on Wednesday night. Uh, and so Wednesday night we have kind of like a, a worship service that's geared towards them. There's normally a game, there's worship, and there's teaching and small groups. And so the track that we've been taking this Wednesday is, uh, is very intentional. We started off the semester talking about who Jesus says that he is. And so we looked at the I Am statements of Jesus. Things like, uh, I am the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I'm the good shepherd. Uh, and the world has a thousand different views on Jesus. And so we spent some time talking about who Jesus says that he is. And from there we moved to uh, a discussion of who the Bible says that we are. Sometimes we let other people kind of define us or things that are good about us, we feel like define us, but we looked at what Scripture says, things like, I'm a friend of God, I'm a child of God, I'm a new creation. And so from there, last Wednesday, we started kind of our, our third, really, uh, trek, kind of rounding, uh, rounding the base, and uh, we, we started talking about this, who we are as a people. Uh, in Scripture, there's, there's one another commands, there's a hundred one another commands, uh, and so we started talking about that, and so we've moved from who God says he is to who God says we are as individuals to who God says we are as people. And, and in Greek, uh, the Greek word is alelon, and it's, again, a hundred times uh, in the New Testament. And so I was looking through, and this is probably my favorite, uh, is 1 Corinthians eleven thirty three, and I love how the King James puts it. It says this, it says, Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry for one another. My translation is, don't eat all the biscuits before I make it down for breakfast. And I just like that, tarry for one another. And it's not really talking about food, it's more or less talking about the Lord's Supper, but I just, I like to think of it uh, in that light. And so that word, alelon, one another, there's one time in the New Testament where, where it refers to the Lord's Supper. There's four times where it refers to kissing, uh, and I'll let Pastor Shep handle those. Uh, but tonight we're going to talk about where about a third of them lie. About a third of the one another commands have to do with loving one another. And that makes sense. You know, we think about the, the scriptures that we hang our faith on, the scriptures that, that are near and dear to our hearts, the scriptures that we will hang up on the wall, the scriptures that if we were to explain our faith, that, that our mind immediately goes there. We think about John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so love's just, just right there. When we think about what it means to live out our faith, we think of the greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And so love is this thread that, that flows all throughout Scripture. We see God's love for us. We see the command to love others, and, and it's just this kind of theme. And tonight, we're going to trace it through 1 John uh, chapter 4 specifically. Uh, but before we do that, I wanted to share with you um, a resource. This is the, the Bible Project. is a group of people, and they do illustrated videos. And so uh, some of the videos they do is they'll take a book of the Bible, they'll take Galatians, they'll take Leviticus, they'll take a book, like one of the minor prophets, and they will draw it out. And so it's this video where they'll draw out the entire book, and so you'll get to see it in about 10 minutes, how this whole video plays out. And so for those of you that use maybe Explore the Bible in Sunday school, it's a good resource. You can go to YouTube, and you can kind of watch how an entire book plays out in five to ten minutes. The other thing they do is they create videos that trace a thread throughout Scripture. So maybe the thread of redemption, the thread of atonement, uh, or in the case of tonight, this specific word in First John for love is agape. And so they, they put together this quick uh, video that really traces the theme of agape. And so we're going we're gonna to take a look at that as we get things started.
God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. So we're going to look at 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to look at a lengthy passage, verses 7 through 21. And so if, you tend to, if your mind tends to wander and you tend to lose track, um, here's a little something you can do to keep your mind there. Uh, agape, love, is going to be there a lot. And I don't have the answer to this, but if you feel so led, you could kind of count how many times it comes out. Uh, but 1 John chapter 4. Verse 7, it says this, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. 
In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Uh, I think I've shared, shared this before. I've been teaching on 1 John. Uh, most of the time when I've had a chance to preach, and I know it's been spread out over a large amount of time, but I decided I wanted to start working through 1 John and, and what I didn't realize is that John thinks differently than I do. Uh, I like Paul. I like arguments. I like kind of a linear train of thought of A to B to C. And I can follow that. But as you read John, you kind of realize there's not like an, an argument. He's not trying to get from point A to point B. He's, he's doing these kind of circles, and it's this poetic language. And, and I kind of struggle with that. And so, like I said this morning, I have to kind of uh, do a lot of underlining and highlighting and trying to figure out... Um, what, what's happening. And so uh, if, if you do take notes, I've got, I've got seven points, uh, and they're not going to go from the top to the bottom. They're just kind of interlaced in between the circles uh, of John's thought. But they all have to do with love. They all have to do with this idea of agape that the video uh, was about. And it starts off really simple. Point number one, God is love. God is love. You look at verse seven, it says this, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God. Verse 8 says, The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And verse 16 says, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And John just keeps circling back to this idea, God is love, God is love, God is love. And I kind of wonder, John, why did you have to keep circling back and saying the same thing? I think part of Part of it's the same reason we have to tell our kids the same time over and over and over and over and over is because they don't get it. And sometimes it takes, it takes hearing it, you know, a few times for it to really sink into our hearts. Uh, but the truth of the matter is this, is, is God's love. God is love. That's the definition of who he is. Every word that he speaks, every action that he takes uh, is love. And it doesn't always seem like that, and it doesn't always feel like that. And there are situations in life where we wonder, but uh, John is somebody that walked with Jesus. He says, God is love. And that's important for, for two really important reasons. Uh, first of all is this, is people are desperate for love. Uh, I'm big into music, and uh, you know I, I'm constantly kind of listening to new stuff. And I'm willing to bet you could go back to whatever generation, whatever decade is your favorite type of music. And we all have probably a different uh, view of that, but you can go back to your decade and go back to your music, and this is what I grew up on, and this is what I still listen to. And my guess is, is you wouldn't have to go far through the charts before you'd start finding a whole lot of songs about love. And maybe the instruments behind them change and the beat changes, but the message is still people are out there looking for love. And that's in 
TV shows, that's in movies, even movies that aren't romantic comedies. You go and you'll see this, this thread of love, and love something that, that people are desperate for. When you go out into the world, people make uh, bad choices in pursuit of love. They do strange things in pursuit of love, and we are all desperate for love, so it matters that God is love. And here's the, the second reason it matters. There's this, uh, there's this kind of tendency in a movement, and I think it probably comes, it flows in and out, but there's this uh, idea that some people have that that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament just aren't the same. The God of the New Testament is a God of love and a God of grace and a God of forgiveness. And the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath and a God of anger and a God of destruction. And what, what we, they fail to realize is that it's the same God as love is just displayed in different ways. And so John lets us know throughout the whole scripture, throughout the whole canon from Genesis to Revelation, God is love and it just plays itself out in different ways. And so the first point is that is. It's God is love. And the second is this, is that God demonstrates his love through Jesus. Okay, if we want to understand God's love, all we have to do is look at Jesus. Verse 9 says this, it says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And verse 19, We love because... He first loved us. So whenever we doubt God's love, whenever we feel like we've done something so wrong that there's no way God could love us, whenever we feel like life's so bad that there's no way that God could love us, all we have to do is we have to stop and and look at the cross and and see the depth of God's love for us. Uh, I tell the students this all the time, and I don't think they really get it yet. You'll probably get it. Um, but I tell them this. I can imagine, I can comprehend the idea of, of laying down my life for somebody else. I can understand that. Um, you know, that's, that's a heroic thing. That's an honorable thing. That's a thing that I think most of us hope, if it came down to it, I'd be willing to sacrifice my life for somebody else. That's, a, that's something I think we, most of us can wrap our heads around. Here's what I can't fathom, though. I can't fathom a situation. I can't fathom a circum, circumstance. I can't comprehend a situation in which I would allow one of my boys to die for somebody else. Does that make sense? Like that, that's where it hits me. And now that I'm a father, now that I see that, I, I'm like, that, that is, that's some kind of love that, that God would allow his son to suffer on the cross, to experience the weight of sin, to experience the punishment that we deserve. And so when we doubt God's love, we simply just look to the cross and realize all that Jesus endured for us. And it helps us to see God's love in a real practical, tangible way. All right, so God is love. God demonstrates his love through Jesus. And point three is this, God's love is contagious. God's love is contagious. Verse seven says this, it says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God. Verse 11 says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And in verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And I love this phrase, his love is perfected in us. And we can start to see the progression. If Jesus, if God so loved us, if he showered us with his undeserved, extravagant love, then God desires for us to love others in the same way. And I love that phrase in verse 12. His love is perfected in us. And it's this idea that, that God's love isn't perfect. Like It's good that we receive his love, but his love's perfected when we receive it and then pour it out on somebody else. It's perfected when we receive his love and then go out and love somebody else who maybe doesn't deserve it or doesn't appreciate it. Um, but it's, it's perfected when we love an, another person. 
Uh, we, we watch a lot of TV at my house, probably far more TV than, than we should. Uh, but there's a category of shows I really love to watch. I love watching survival shows, uh, which is strange because I'm not uh, in the woods, um, rough it type of guy. Um, I'm a Hampton Inn, Belgian waffle in the morning kind of guy. Um, if we're going to camp, it's going to be in the backyard, and when it gets cold, I'm going to come inside kind of thing. And so I love, but I love watching these survival shows. And, and generally, there's a few things they've got to figure out. They need to figure out fire, and they need to figure out shelter. But one of the biggest things is they always need to figure out water. You know, you can make it for a good while without food. Uh, water, you, you need pretty quick. And so I love watching these shows, and they have to figure out not necessarily exactly where to find water. They need to figure out how to find water that they can drink. And so sometimes they'll find a way to boil the water to make it safe to drink, and sometimes they'll find a way to kind of dig a little, um, a little filtered well so they can drink water. And th- but there are a few occasions where they're able to drink water just as it is. Maybe this, this, this underground spring, maybe it's this uh, stream that's running through. But generally, if they're able to drink the water, it, all that water has something in common. The water's moving. The water's moving, it's going somewhere, it's not sitting still. Because we know what happens to water when it sits still. If you've got water around your house or you've had, maybe you've seen like flood damage before. When water sits still, it doesn't take long for water to get nasty. It starts growing things. Things start sprouting up. It produces smells. If water sits, it just, it, it becomes uh, gross and it makes us sick. And I think in a way that kind of paints the picture of what God's love is, is supposed to be. God doesn't just pour his love out on us for us just to hold it in and just savor and just keep it to ourselves. God pours his love in on us, just this never-ending stream of love, in order for it to flow right through us into somebody else's life. God loves us in order that that love would be perfected by us showing it to somebody else. And so this idea is that God is love, God shows his love for Jesus, but that love should be contagious. We don't just receive God's love, we give it out to those uh, we go through life with. And so that's point three. Point four follows uh, close behind it. Love is commanded. Love is commanded. Verse 7 says this. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And then verse 21 says this, And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And we just talked about how God's love is contagious. God's love should naturally flow out of us. If we understand how much God loves us, if we understand how much he's forgiven us, if we understand how good he's been to us, then we should naturally desire to love other people. Like We should just be filled with this, this grace and this joy, and so love should naturally spill out of our lives. And so uh, we kind of wonder, okay, if it's something that, that should naturally happen, why does God have to command it? Right? Generally, you don't have to command things that naturally happen on their own. And I was thinking about it, and um, the best way I can explain it, it's probably not a good explanation, is this. Is, is sometimes we just need a reminder. Sometimes we forget. Uh, I was sharing with you this morning about the idea of rest uh, and about telling my boys, it's, you got to take a nap, you got to go to bed, and that just being the worst news. Uh, and the truth is, is sometimes you have to tell somebody to rest. You know, rest is a natural thing. Rest is a rhythm of our life. It's a rhythm of our day. But sometimes people need to be told to rest. Sometimes we burn the candle at both ends and we go and we go and we go and we go and and we wear ourselves out. And sometimes maybe our spouse or if we're younger, our parents, they look at us and go, you need to rest. You need to chill out. You You need to sleep. And so while rest is a natural thing, sometimes it's commanded in our life. 
Food's the same way. I, I tend to eat. I like to eat. I ate lunch uh, earlier today. I'm probably going to eat dinner after this. I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning. That's one of the first things I'm going to do. I'm going to eat. You know, that's a natural thing that we do. We like to eat. But there are times in life where we have to be commanded to eat. I remember when I was younger and maybe I was, I was sick and I just didn't feel like eating, but my parents knew like I needed something on my stomach. And so they commanded me to, you need to eat a saltine, you need to eat a cracker, you need to eat something, you need to put, you know, something on your stomach. And so it was this natural thing, and yet it was com- commanded. And I think that the best example is this, is, uh, is breathing. Breathing breathing's about the most natural thing that happens. We have to think about eating, we have to think about sleeping, but breathing, generally, it just, it just happens. But I think we've all been in, this, in a situation where we've seen somebody so upset, so distraught, so unconsolable that you just have to tell them you need to breathe. Have you ever seen somebody so upset or you've been so upset that you just you can't and you have to be reminded you need to breathe. You need to breathe. It's the most natural thing, but at the same time, there's these times where we need reminders. And so when it comes to God's love, God's love should be the most natural thing that flows out of us. Like we should receive God's love and we should just shower that love on everybody that we come in contact with. But I think it's like that idea of, of being inconsolable or being so busy is we just, we get hectic and we run around from point A to point B thinking about every C and D and E and everything else that we've got to do and we get consumed and we get stressed and we just forget to love those that God's put in our path. And so God has loved us. God demonstrates that love through, through Jesus, and that love should be contagious. But at the same time, God has to remind us and has to command us to do that. And that's one of the most repeated commands in Scripture is to, to love one another. To love one another, to love your enemies, uh, to love those that persecute you. And so that's the first four. Uh, the fifth commandment is a little bit different. Uh, and like I said, I like to scribble out my scriptures. I like to, to write and draw. And so uh, something interesting happens. You probably can't see it from there. But, but the beginning, the first paragraph of the scripture, there's love mentioned like 2,000 times. I didn't count. But there's love is mentioned a whole lot. And then you get to the very end, the last paragraph, and love is mentioned a whole lot. But then you get to verses um, 13 through 15. So right there in the middle. And notice the absence of what you, notice the absence of what's there. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testify that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And so right in the middle of the section, it starts with love, it ends with love. But right in the middle, he takes a break from talking about love, and he talks about two things. He talks about abiding, and he talks about the Spirit. And there's almost this idea that if you want to obey these commands to love, then you can't forget abiding, and you can't forget the Spirit. It made me think of John 15. This has been one of my favorite verses for a long time, but it says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches, He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And Jesus is very clear on this. He's called us to and commanded us to love others. At the same time, he knows that it's impossible for us to do that sometimes on our own. And so we have to abide in him. We have to remain in him. Uh, Galatians 5.22 is the fruit of the Spirit. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
And there's this idea that we can only truly love one another, we can only truly love our neighbor, we can only truly love our enemies when we're abiding in, remaining in, depending on God. And so even though it's something that should happen naturally, even though it's commanded, there's this absolute dependence. If we truly want to love in the way Jesus loved, then we've got to remain and abide in Jesus. And so love is commanded, uh, but it's also powered by the Spirit, okay? And so uh, that's kind of the first five. Got two more. Verse uh, .6 says this, love changes us. Love changes us. 1 John 4, 17, we've looked, at, uh, we've looked at it before, but it says this. It says, by this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. But because as he is, so also are we in this world. Uh, we looked at this, this phrase earlier, specifically the, the love is perfected with us. Um, but I like to think about the confidence. It says that by this, love is perfected in us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Uh, and I work with students, and a lot of times, especially on Wednesday nights, the students will walk around with their big old book, or they'll have their note cards, and they'll just be flipping through, and they'll be studying, and they've got a test the next day, and so um, they're, just, they're just trying to cram all that knowledge in their head. And it's been a long time since I've been in school. It's not a super long. It's been a decent while since I've been in school, but I still, I still remember that feeling. And I, I've, even, I've still even had some nightmares every now and then of just waking up, and realizing I've got a test tomorrow, and I didn't study. I don't know if you ever had that happen when you were in school, and you get to class, and everybody else is talking about something. You're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, and you find out you got a, you got a test. That's a terrible feeling, to walk into something knowing you're totally, completely unprepared. On the other hand, when you've studied, and when you know it, it's almost like a joy to walk in, because you're like, I, I know the answers, and I'm ready to put them out there. And so when we think about this idea of confidence, it's not necessarily I'm confident in myself. We don't have confidence in the day of judgment because we've done all the right things and we've been loving and so we deserve, uh, we deserve our place in heaven on the day of judgment. But it's, th- it's this idea is that when we are loving to others, we're able to see God working in our lives and we're confident that he's our Lord and he's our Savior and that he's going to stand for us in the judgment. You know, with this talking with the students and, and you know, just even with adult ministry at the church, we spend a lot of time uh, talking about worship and talking about prayer and talking about Bible study and, and reading the scriptures. and All of that stuff is incredible. But one of the things that I've learned is times where I've grown the most in my faith, uh, a lot of those times have been because I stepped out and served in a way that scared me. Sometimes when we, when we step out and serve in a way that scares us, when we try to love somebody else in a way that we've never done before, sometimes that just produces this dependence and we, and we grow in our walk with Christ. Maybe it's going on a mission trip and we just don't feel like we, we have it and so we're praying constantly. Maybe it's trying to turn a conversation towards Jesus just out on a Tuesday. I'm telling you, if you try and bring up Jesus or turn a conversation towards Jesus and try and show love in that way, a lot of times that just kind of, it makes you pray more and, and you see your life begin to change. And so we kind of think through this, God's love, God showed his love to us through Jesus. It's a contagious thing, it's a commandment thing, it's, a, it's a empowered by the Spirit thing. And as we live out this love that God's called us to, it, it begins to change us. We become confident that God's at work in our life, and we become confident because we see him changing our heart and changing our lives. And so there's just one more point. Uh, love changes us, but love also changes others. First John 4.12 says this. It says, no one has seen God at any time. 
If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And that perfected in us phrase comes up. But, but listen to this. No one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God abides in us. Nobody has seen God. But when we love one another, God abides in us. God shows up. And one of the, the clearest, clearest ways that we can point other people to Jesus is by the way that we love one another, by we love other people. Think about our kids that grow up in the church. I don't think our kids initially pick up on the spiritual talk and the spiritual lingo. They pick up on the love. They pick up that they walk in here and there's people that care about them and want to speak to them and want to give them a hug. And they, they pick up on the love. And they pick up on the love quick. And as they hang around, that love grows and they, they, they start understanding not just your love, but, but God's love. And so when we love people, not only does it change us, it changes, uh, it changes other people. Uh, I shared a little bit this morning just about um, just us and, our, and having kids and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things we're in the process of now is, is uh, me and Shannon and I, are, we're in the process of adopting from India. And so uh, we've gone through uh, basically the home study, the part where they look at our lives and they take us to a psychiatrist to make sure uh, we're not crazy. We're not, be thankful. Uh, so we're not crazy, and we, we've gone and we've had blood tests, and they've done all this kind of stuff, and we've got our smoke alarms, and they've just investigated us. And so we've gone through that part, and, and then the next part we went through was this education part where we just did a whole lot of reading, and we watched videos, and we took some online classes. Uh, and one of the things that, that um, our social worker told us that most parents stress out about is they stress out about the, their, their child's physical uh, and mental capacities. You know, when a, you bring a child over, most parents worry, are they physically where they need to be? Are they mentally where they, where they need to be? But she said, most of all, the struggle tends to be emotionally, are they where they need to be? That's, that's where the issue comes in. Uh, because most of the international adoptions, at least that will happen through India, will be uh, from orphanages and from group homes. And so uh, their physical needs will be taken care of. You know, they'll be, be uh, eating for the most part, and then a doctor will come in and see them. But they said what really stunts them, what really hurts them, is that there's not enough workers to provide the love that the kids need. And so um, I forget where I heard it, but it was just kind of talking about the eeriness of walking into an orphanage, and there are all these babies there, and none of them were crying because... Crying didn't do anything, you know? And it was just this idea that we worry about the physical, we worry about the mental, we worry about all that, but the truth is, is that they need that love, and that love's really what's missing from their lives. And it's not much different from a lot of people that we encounter every day. There's a lot of people that we're going to see eyeball to eyeball throughout the day, and they don't, they don't experience that love. They don't have anybody that loves them unconditionally. They don't have anybody that loves them just as they are. And they don't have anybody that, that cares about them and will say, say that. And so one of the things that, that we've just got to realize is we've received God's love, and we've been welcomed into this one another love with, with each other. But God calls us to share that with the people that, that don't have that. And so we can kind of trace through the circles uh, of John's argument is that God is love. God demonstrates his love through Jesus. That love is contagious. That love is commanded. That love uh, is uh, empowered by the Spirit. And when we love others, it changes them and it also changes us. And so uh, we understand that. We get that. The question is, is what do we do with that? And I think there's two answers. The first is this. We've got to go back to God. 
Because God is love and God empowers love. And so if we want to truly love one another, and we, if we truly want to love those outside in the world, then we've got to keep our eyes on God. We've got to remain with God. We've got to keep considering God's love. We have to keep worshiping God for his love. And we have to keep receiving and enjoying his love. And so that's part of it. That's part one. Uh, here's part two. Not only do we, need, do we need to look to God, we need to look towards others. Uh, I don't know if you've, you've noticed this. Uh, and I think it's maybe not as bad with some of your generations, but for my generation, and it just gets worse as they get younger, have you noticed you don't see their eyes? You don't see their eyes. If we're sitting down, their eyes are down. They can be at a table with other people, but their eyes are down. They can be walking uh, down the, the street, but their eyes are down. A lot of times we just don't see each other's eyes because we're so focused on what's going on uh, in our hand. And uh, I just, there's, a, there's a great example of, of what can happen uh, if we don't keep our eyes up and keep our eyes in the world. And so this, was a, this is a news clip. Uh, I forget, I've seen it a while back, but I think it kind of paints a good picture. Walkway. Mark Cono yeah, in uh, Sky 5. Uh, well, this, this is very interesting. <laughs> Apparently the bear has decided yeah, that's to right, you move know. around. All the garbage cans are out, too. Mm, yeah, just something. a couple of minutes ago, the bear left the clearing in the backyard there, and he made his way over to the driveway over on Mayfield. He came down that driveway down Mayfield, and now he's on Briggs, and now it looks like he's uh, turning into another driveway here. We're going to kind of maneuver around and see if we can get another shot of him, but uh, yeah, um, he would definitely... Oh, right oh, there. Oh, okay, man. we got someone, uh, a resident there. <laughs> he yeah. just saw the bear. Oh. <laughs> so, just a public service announcement. If you don't pay attention, you might walk up on a bear. Um, but we do that, right? We, we, we kind of get focused on our own life and our our, our lives shrink down to this screen or our lives shrink down to this problem, we don't, and we don't look up. And so if we genuinely want to love one another, then we've got to get our eyes up to where we actually see one another. Right? We can't meet a need that we don't see. We can't love a person we don't connect with. We can't, we can't live out that love unless we actually connect with another, another person. And so John paints this beautiful, extravagant, wonderful picture of love. And it's this love that should never get old. It's the love we should be able to sing about our entire life and on in eternity. It's a love that we don't deserve. It's a love that never ends. Uh, it's a love that just should forever excite us. And it's a love that we get to share. And so uh, the reminder is, is simply this. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's keep our eyes on who he is and what he's done and how good he is. And let's keep our eyes out for others. Let's look for others who are suffering. Let's look for others who are hurting. Let's look for others who have needs. Let's look for others. And uh, my guess is this, is that the more we keep our eyes on Jesus, the more God will open our eyes to the people around us that desperately need his love. It'll be amazing to see what God does in our life and what God does in the life of others. Let's pray.